You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Sweden in Focus. We are recording this episode on Thursday, the 29th of September. Today we're going to talk about the latest developments in the coalition talks to form a new government. We'll cover the Nord Stream pipeline blasts, work permit delays, what Swedish words we have adopted and now use when speaking English. And finally, we'll discuss the cost of living crisis and how it's affecting foreigners in Sweden. Earlier this morning, I spoke to Handelsbanken's senior economist Johan Love about the impact of inflation, rising interest rates and a weak krona. And we'll hear what he had to say a little bit later in the show. But for now, I'm joined by our regular panellists, James Savage here in Stockholm and Becky Waterton and Richard Orange in Malmo. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 Good morning. Are you ready for um, Cinnamon Bond Day next week, Becky? I am, but I feel like we are overlooking the last week of September, which is actually Princess Torta. So, I mean, we shouldn't start celebrating Cinnamon Bunday before we've successfully celebrated <laughs> Princess Cake Week. Have you just made that up? Princess Tortans Vecca, Princess Cake Week. I think you've just made that up. I promise I haven't. I was writing an article yesterday about the five essential Swedish cakes that you need to know if you live in Sweden. And every single one of them had a day. So, hang on, we're recording this on the 29th of September, which is a Thursday which means that I have already gone through nearly four days this week of Princess Tortans Vecca without eating Princess Torta. This is a catastrophe. But Cinnamon Bonday is really a thing. Why is it celebrated? Why will all the sort of shops and bakeries be selling tons of Cinnamon Bonds next week? Didn't we trace it back? We traced it back to, um, it was some organisation from a few years ago, which is now run by Dan Sucker, which yeah. is the Danish sugar conglomerate, is behind Canel Bullen's dog. Yeah, because obviously is- if, if they tell everyone to eat Canel their sugar sales are going to go up because I think sugar is quite a large component of any decent cinnamon bun. So that's that's actually kind of disappointing. I feel like we shouldn't (laughs) burst this bubble for the people of Sweden that Cinnamon Bun Day is a creation by the sugar industry. And what day is it so that people can either stock up or boycott cinnamon buns? It's the fourth Tuesday Tuesday next week. Tuesday next week. Yeah, on Tuesday. It's Cinema Monday. All right, just another manic Monday. <laughs> Paul's best ever headline. <laughs> <laughs> you can find the article on the local.se. <laughs> Onto the political situation now and a review of a week that saw Sweden's parliament return to action. And the first task for the members of parliament, or Riksdags Ledamater, was to elect a speaker for the next four years. And as we discussed last week, the far right Sweden Democrats had said they wanted one of their own in the post, but they ended up compromising on the speaker role in exchange for some. Some other symbolically important positions. What can you tell us about that, James? Well, they let Andreas Norlian back in. So the speaker who's been speaker for the last four years, quite a popular kind of figure. He's a moderate, quite 
conservative in the sense that he really he's very he's very sort of he's very keen on the the system and 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 quite cerebral a constitutionalist so they let him back in but what they got in return was a few things first of all the sweden democrats got their candidate julia kronleden as um, second deputy speaker that's not entirely surprising they've had deputy speakers before um, in the form of bjorn Söder previously um, two parliaments ago but they also got and this is really important they got eight chairman or vice chairman roles on the parliamentary committees. Now, this is a new departure because previously they were shut out of these roles completely. And now they have twice as many chairman or vice chairman as the moderates and four times as many as as the Christian Democrats and the Liberals. So they've really then made an entrance into another level of Swedish politics, which for them, you know, is symbolically important. Now, this is a big prestige win for them. It certainly, I think, more than makes up in, in their view for, for, for having not got the speaker role, particularly as they're not particularly opposed to the speaker that is in place. But it's mostly symbolic. The chairmanships don't give them much real power. The committees have some power, but it's, you know, it's on, on majority voting. The chairman is there as a sort of, a, a, a mostly as a, well, a, a chair function, you know, just deciding the agenda for the day. So they get a bit of, bit, and, and that gives them a bit of power, but not very much. It's the parliamentary chamber that has ultimately most power anyway, you know, beyond these committees. So it is a prestige win for them. They can feel that they've got something out of this um, negotiation, but it's um, not going to make much of a difference to the running of Sweden in the long run. And as you said, the re-election of Andreas Norlin was uncontroversial because he's very popular, but the voting got a little bit messy when the time came to vote on Julia Kronlid, who who you mentioned, the, the Sweden Democrat, and it didn't go as smoothly as the Sweden Democrats had hoped or the coalition partners. What happened there, Becky? Yeah, so the way in which a speaker or a deputy speaker is elected is you have to get a majority of votes. First vote, if you get majority, perfect, you're you're elected. And then if you don't get majority, you go to a second vote where you have to get majority. And if you know, so you keep going until someone gets elected, either with a majority or just with the most votes. If it gets, I think, four four different rounds of voting. And what happened with the Julia Kronlid is that. The right-wing bloc, who have 176 seats, had agreed that they would elect Julia Kronlid. But when they did the voting, she only got 173 votes. So there were three people in that bloc who did not follow the party line, which was a little bit dramatic. Yeah, so so in the second round of voting, she ended up getting enough votes. So, so someone was kind of whipped into the following the party line. So it kind of shows that there's a little bit of discontent in the bloc. There's a couple of people that weren't entirely happy about her being elected. But it's a secret vote, so we have no idea who these people are. We have no idea kind of which party that they're for. We don't know who they voted for instead either. So all of the kind of people you'd most expected on the Liberals have come out and said, it absolutely wasn't us. We've totally supported this thing. And whether whether you believe them or not, who knows? And then there's also talk that it might have been Björn Söder, who is apparently incensed that he was um, bypassed for the role by Julia Kronlid and maybe some of his supporters. And I mean, there's all sorts of rumours swirling around, apparently. Impossible to, to tell which are right and which aren't. Yeah, but not a, gr- not a great start for Ulf Christensen in his first parliamentary vote. No, literally the first vote his bloc has to show a united front, they can't show a united front. <laughs> So it's not a good sign. Mm. So the new speaker or the returning speaker, Andreas Norlén, met with uh, the Modern Party leader, Ulf Christensen, on Wednesday to see how the coalition talks were going. What emerged from their meeting, Richard? Ulf Christensen came out afterwards and gave a press conference, quite a long press conference, and he repeated his kind of upbeat 
uh, message on the talk. He said the talks are going well, but he had given Norlian a very, he said, a pretty detailed description of where the negotiations were between the four parties. And he said that he would need two more weeks to finalise a deal and he would return and meet Norlian again next Wednesday, I think, to update him on the progress. A lot of commentators, particularly on the left, took this as as a sign that things actually aren't going nearly as well as he's been making out. So Jonas Hinforsch, who's a professor of politics at Gothenburg University, t- was tweeting about how this would mean it had taken them 33 days after the election to establish a government, which given that they went in throughout the campaign, they were talking about how united they were on all these issues, indicates that the negotiations are a lot trickier than they're maybe making out. And uh, that's what he argued. But I'm not sure if I buy that because there are so many... What Ulf Christensen said, he said it's not just the big blocks the big things like which parties are involved there's lots of details about how much money will go to different things and the order that you'll put different bills before the parliament and you know there's a lot of detail to go through he was arguing so but one thing that has also come out which is quite interesting is that some of the liberal party people who've been most skeptical of working with the Sweden Democrats came out and said they were now willing to cooperate with them even on budget issues which some people have interpreted as meaning that the Liberals are really pushing to get a place in the government and that might be what's slowing the talks down because the Sweden Democrats have always said that they don't want the Liberals to be one of the three governing parties that could be it that could be what still needs to be decided. Sweden in Focus is free to listen to, but is made possible by readers becoming members of The Local Sweden. If you are not yet a member, you can support us by heading to thelocal.se and subscribing with the reduced rate for podcast listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. One very big news story this week concerned three suspected underwater explosions in international waters in the Baltic Sea that caused significant damage to the two Nord Stream gas pipelines running from Russia to Germany. What do we know about this story and how has Sweden reacted, James? I mean, you say this is one of the big news stories this week. I mean, we might look back on this and say that it was one of the very biggest news stories of, of this year or or possibly over um, <laughs> for, for many years in the sense that three these three gas leaks on uh, Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines were discovered on Tuesday. They were discovered in um, international waters off Denmark and Sweden, two of them in the Danish economic zone and uh, one of them in the Swedish economic zone. So it's not Swedish, which is important distinction, it's not territorial waters, it's not, it's not Sweden and it's not Denmark, but it's, it's in those parts of the Baltic Sea that are in, the, in, in these countries' economic zones. And these were huge, huge explosions. There were areas of bubbling water spreading up to a thousand metres in diameter, over a kilometre in, in diameter, that's according to the Danish military. And, you know, the photographs of these, of these leaks are quite dramatic. You see it's, it's like a huge jacuzzi in the middle of the Baltic Sea. Um, and seismologists in Sweden said that two massive releases of energy were were detected. So you know these were these were picked up by you know earthquake monitoring equipment. So this immediately started a bit a big discussion about who was responsible. Obviously, you know the fingers are pointing in various different directions, and many people are looking at Russia, although there are other potential culprits, and nobody is saying for certain that they that they know who has, who has done this. And they're being very they're being cagey about speculating, as you would expect. But on Tuesday night, Maglina Andersson, who is still the Prime Minister of Sweden, said that this was probably caused by sabotage, which was echoing what um, the Danish Prime Minister Mette Fredriksson said, who said it was a deliberate act. 
But beyond that, they're not really saying anything. So this is going to be something that's going to keep bubbling. Just underline the sheer amount of gas that is leaking out into the Baltic Sea. I saw that Greenpeace was saying that it's the equivalent of seven months of emissions for Sweden. Yeah. Like in CO, obviously methane isn't CO2, but like the equivalent of that CO2 emission. Well, methane is a more dangerous greenhouse gas than CO2 as well. We also had a report this week on huge delays in the Swedish Migration Agency's processing of work permit applications. What's uh, going on and when will the situation return to normal? Well, there's long delays. I mean, on paper, the Migration Agency has committed to process work permits for what they call certified operators who are, you know, the big tech companies, the big accountancy firms um, sign up to this scheme in 10 days. And it's now taking 105 days. So it's taking nearly 10 times as long as it's supposed to. And partly it's it's the, the, the sort of pandemic effect that, you know, almost nobody came in the pandemic and now suddenly the numbers have bounced back to where they were. The other thing he said is that it's the new rules that came in in June, which we've spoken about already in previous episodes, which require people to have a signed contract before they can get a work permit, which means that all of the pending work permits that were pending then had to go back and supplement their applications. And that's something like 10,000 applications, which is an enormous amount of work for the staff at the migration agency. And the other thing is, is they had, they knew this was coming. So they had sort of ramped up and and hired some more staff. But then the Ukraine crisis happened. So all those staff were put on, on handling all the people coming from Ukraine. Right. So suddenly they didn't have the staff they needed to handle this extra work. So they're hoping that they'll get it sorted within sometime next year. But they don't think they're going to be able to get back to the 10 days they're promising before. So he's sort of saying we might have to come back to the companies and say, actually, we can only commit to do it in a month. Yeah, next year. I mean, people are going to have to wait a long time. Yeah. It's kind of technical, but apparently if you're a software company in Sweden that relies on this kind of labour from India and stuff, I mean, they're really suffering. They're really struggling to keep their businesses afloat because they just can't get the staff in that they rely on. So I think it's it's actually quite serious, serious this delay. Frederick Benson was saying he's under a lot of pressure. He's getting calls all the time from businesses that are really struggling because of this. So hopefully they'll be able to sort it. And one thing that a lot of people notice when they've lived in Sweden for a while is that Swedish words and concepts start creeping into their own native language usage. And this is something that you picked up on, Becky. What Swedish words do you regularly use when you're speaking English? I use a lot of Swedish words and I think... It's partly due to the fact that I have a two-year-old who can understand English but always replies in Swedish, so I just find myself speaking the same words that she uses. One of the ones I can really hear myself using every single time I say it is macka, which is just like what Swedes eat for breakfast. It's like bread, sometimes toasted with some kind of topping. And I think the reason I say macka is because it's not really toast, because it can be untoasted and it's not a sandwich either. So it's just easier to say, oh, what do you want on your macka this morning? So that's definitely a Swedish word I use a lot in English. Yeah, I use, I use macka all the time as well. And yeah. It's because it's, it's not a sandwich. It's a, it's a yeah, it's an it's open not, sandwich. Like you can't what, say, would you like an open sandwich? Yeah, and like, oh, what do you want on your toast? Oh, but I don't want it toasted. Okay, what do you want on your bread? <laughs> like... It just sounds really weird to say it in English. And also knäcka macka, I say a lot, which is like a knäcka bread, like a crisp bread <laughs> macka. Because my daughter, for some reason, loves knäcka bread. Like, the, like really, the, 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 
ones that taste like cardboard. She doesn't like any of the fans, just the ones that taste like cardboard. I'm like, oh my, do you want a knicker macca today? Yeah, mama, knicker macca. I mean, it's the main thing they feed them on in uh, <laughs> Dargis, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Bird. That's another one, Dargis. I always say Dargis, preschool. Melis, which is like a snack. It means melanmol. I remember, like, I always say, oh my, do you want melis? Like, it's just kind of a generic word for an afternoon snack or like an after school snack. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm noticing now that lots of them are to do with food. I say sugen a lot, which is like you're not really hungry, but you kind of want something to eat. So you're just like a little bit snacky. You know, you're looking in the cupboards. Yeah, you're looking in the cupboards and you're like, mm, oh, I'm kind of hungry. What should I have? And then someone's like, oh, are you hungry? Should we get something to eat? It's like, I'm not really hungry. I'm just a bit sugen, really. Like, I kind of want some, some crisps or like maybe a little pastry, like maybe some chocolate. I'm a bit sugen. And then vab is kind of the, the most obvious one that I think every parent in Sweden uses. The, the vård av barn. So it's like the sick leave for looking after a child who's ill. I think that that's probably the most common Swedish word that's used in English. Vob is another sort of related one. Yeah, vob, which is like when you're on paper, you're vabbing, but you're actually working while you're looking after your sick child, which is technically illegal, I think. So don't do that. So it's vab and job. So nobody in this podcast vobs, right? Because it would be illegal. I mean, you try vobbing with a two-year-old and then come back to me and say if you think it's... I think vobbing is something you do if you have teenagers. Ten-year-olds, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, you'll find the temptation when they get up to eight, eight or so, Becky. (laughs) Not that I do it, of course, because that would be illegal. I find I say absolute or precise a lot, or or even just precisely. Yeah, you start using words that would be unnatural in English, but that sort of quite close to the Swedish equivalents. So yeah, that's definitely true. I think, but I think particularly it's nouns, though, isn't it? Mm. It's like nouns for stuff that's not where there's not an where there's not a really sort of direct equivalent. So I'm going down to the Tvetstuga because I can't really think what the Tvetstuga is called in English because we don't have them. It's a very Swedish concept. Yeah, or like oh, I can't I can't meet up today. I've got Tvetstid. Like I've got my laundry slot yeah. time. <laughs> I also say yo quite a lot. So yo is kind of a negating way of saying yes. You're not going to the party on Saturday, are you? You? Yeah, exactly. I am no, going to the I party am. on Saturday. So I use yo quite a lot in English, which yeah. is a bit of a problem because I use it with people that don't know what it means and it just sounds a bit odd. There's an implicit threat there, isn't it? It's like, I'll, me- I'll mess you up if you ever say that again. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Tver. Oh, tver. I use tver all the time as well, like, unfortunately. Oh God, I hate tver. I Hate tiver. That's that. That's a, that's a word that means unfortunately, and it's the word that if you're trying to get a company to do what you want, and or you're nagging them on the phone, you call them up and you're like, "Listen, I need you to cancel my subscription. Don't cancel your subscription, by the way. Um, <laughs> I need you to cancel my subscription." And they're like, "I'm sorry, you you you're subscribed until the end of the year, tiver," mm. and then it's like. Oh, that means you're shutting the conversation down and you're not going to help me anymore, doesn't it? Mm. Tiver. <laughs> hate that word. Most awful word in Swedish. I also, I, I say oi 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 quite a lot. Or oi. <laughs> like if I bump into someone, like oi forlot, mate. Like oi forlot, mate. But then if you go around in the UK, someone bumps into you and you say oi, it's like oi, mate. Like, it sounds a lot more aggressive, but in Sweden it's like, oi, sorry, I apologise for bumping into you there. <laughs> Often oi is used in a kind of, I don't know, it feels slightly passive aggressive, right? You say you bump into someone and say, oi, you're like, this was probably your fault. Why weren't you looking where you're going? Why weren't you looking where you were going? Exactly. Oi, oi, oi. It, it sort of means, oops but it's sort of kind of a little bit directed at the other person, Yeah, I think. If I drop something, I can be like, oi! Like, I, it just comes out. Like, I, I don't know. It's like I've, I found when I was living in Denmark, 
you can say like puha, which is like oh wow, like I like you can say it in like if you're like oh I was up all night yesterday, like oh I couldn't sleep. Like, oh puha. Oh no, <laughs> Becky's off in Denmark again. <laughs> no, but it's always the same thing. It's something that like I've started saying, and then people just look at me like Becky. What? Come back over the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I was there yesterday. I'm sorry. My mind's on pastries and uh, puha. And we'll be back after this short break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Uh, now we're going to turn to our main topic today and how the global cost of living crisis has manifested itself in Sweden and what people can do to mitigate the effects. And I spoke this morning to Johan Love, the head of forecasting and a senior economist at Handelsbanken. And I began by asking him why the Swedish krona has dropped so dramatically in value against the US dollar. The the Swedish krona is... Um a relatively small currency, much like uh, the Swedish economy is a relatively uh, small economy in the world. And um, you could compare it to uh, a small boat sailing uh, the big ocean. So when uh, sometimes you don't go in the course that you thought you were going, and at uh, certain periods, it's a bit shaky, uh, shaky ride. So right now, with um, uh, financial market conditions uh, being volatile, with uh, a lot of uncertainty and risks, the Swedish krona takes a hit, basically. So investors and uh, various agents of the economy don't want to hold as much uh, of this smaller currency. Instead, they go to safe havens like the US dollar, a, a much larger currency. So um, even though there are fundamentals that would suggest that the Swedish krona will strengthen again over time, for the time being and uh, for some foreseeable future here, we, we think that the, the krona will remain quite weak in comparison to what you've been used to. Do you think it will drop any further in relation to the US dollar? We haven't forecasted that, no. Um, uh, that said, after we, we published our most recent forecast uh, on the 21st of September, new volatility came into the markets, uh, a lot relating to, uh, to events in the UK with the government presenting new fiscal measures and, and the markets reacting uh, badly to that. And that has hurt the krona as well. As I said, when, when new risks and new uncertainty enter this uh, very fragile environment that we have now in the larger world with uh, geopolitics and uh, perhaps a, a coming recession in many economies. So, so, so that's been worsening. So, so we'll see. We haven't forecasted it to, to become even weaker. 
but rather to stay at uh, these quite weak levels over the winter and not improve until next year, 2023. A lot of our listeners are foreigners living in Sweden. What impact does the weak krona have on people who live in Sweden but travel regularly to countries with uh, stronger currencies? Yeah, it, it makes you uh, it makes you lose purchase power in these other countries. You get fewer goods and. Uh, uh, less services for 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 the money that you have, have in in Swedish currency. On the other hand, if you have savings abroad and you feel the need to use some of those savings, when you then sell your foreign currency to buy Swedish krona for for the for those savings, then you get more Swedish krona. So so it works uh, a bit differently depending on on what um, household economy you, you you have. What advice would you give to people facing into an autumn and winter characterized? by high inflation, spiraling energy bills and rising interest rates, what should people be doing with their savings? So um, one thing is that before you even sort of dip into your savings, as you expressed it, um, you could uh, try to uh, cut back on, on your uh, your use of, of electricity. And in both Sweden and in uh, a lot of advanced economies, we waste a lot of food each year. So Considering that food prices are up more than 10% compared to a year ago, have a look. Can you make use of all the food that you purchase and, and throw away uh, less of it? That can, that can also be something that helps you through this uh, uh, challenging winter. And when it comes to savings, um, I mean, it, it's up to each person, I think, to, to think about their household economy. Because these are uncertain times and we don't know how long the higher interest rates or the higher inflation will be there. There, there are non-trivial risks that uh, inflation will, will stay with us through next year and, and even into 2024 before it gets back under control. We should remember that we haven't faced a situation like this since the 80s or even 70s in some countries. So, so it's a bit uncharted territory. So use savings if you, if you um, feel confident about it, but it's probably a good idea to have um, uh, some, some backup buffers if things don't turn out as, as well as we hope for next year. We have just been listening to Johan Love, uh, Chief Economist with Handelsbanken. James, if I can turn to you now, it would be interesting to hear how the weak krona affects a company like the local. How have you been noticing the drop in the value of Sweden's currency? Well, it's interesting because, you know, for a company like the local, the immediate effect is perhaps slightly positive because we earn more of our money in US dollars and euros than we do in krona, and we have more of our costs in krona than we do in euros. So we don't have any costs in dollars. So that means that actually, you know, I mean, the euro has risen, risen in value against the krona, and our costs in krona are the same, and our and, and our, and our income in, in euros is the same, and therefore, you know, all, all things being equal, we, we, we win on the currency issue. But instability in currencies is still a problem for a company like the local, even if, you know, we might win on it in the short term. Um, for some of our readers, it, it means that, that their purchasing power is lower. And we're seeing, you know, other issues, for instance, with our with some of our subscribers in France and Spain, some of whom are British, earn their income or, or receive pensions from the UK in pounds. Now, the pound has 
collapsed and they're and you know they have all their costs in euros so you know you from that perspective you you know you see significant negative effects you know they, they find it they find it harder to make ends meet um and therefore you know review things like that like their subscriptions and this goes for commercial clients as well uh, you know anyone in the uk who's who's trying to buy with us or anyone in in sweden where we denominate some of our advertising prices in euros and suddenly their krona aren't going so far in euros so it's a very complicated picture and i think what most businesses want is a predictability and stability rather than um, sort of trying to bet on currency fluctuations. So all in all, I think in the long term, having uncertainty over exchange rates is never a good thing for businesses, even if in the short term, it might not be a disaster, or it might even be something you, you win on. But no, we don't like this. One news story that I know you were following, Richard, was the start of the annual lobster season, which officially got underway at 7am on Monday. Why was this interesting from an economic perspective? Well, I mean, every year this is something that, that that's watched quite closely, the first auction of Swedish lobster, because it always goes for sort of crazy high prices. But this year it didn't at all. It went for, well, you know, depends on, on how much you've got, but it went for 7,000 krona a kilo, which is down from 77,000 krona last year. So it's a tenth of the price it was last year. And last year wasn't even particularly high. I think the, the highest it's ever sold, the first lobsters of the season have ever gone for is 102,000 krona a kilo. So so it's rock bottom prices this year. And um, it was quite interesting because they interviewed the buyer, his sort of fish dealer, and he said he reckoned it reflected what he called Samhel Zorun, the sort of sense of of worry or anxiety in society you know that you know restaurants presumably just don't think they can they can sell top dollar lobster to people so yeah so it's, it's a kind of it's a kind of unconventional economic indicator that things aren't aren't necessarily looking that great for Sweden or for Europe you know really coming into the next year no because it's interesting because you, yeah you would usually think of this oh look f- uh, food prices food prices going down in a period of inflation is this a good signal but clearly you know it's the, the the price of lobsters doesn't behave in the same way as the price of other foods even lobster eaters are having to make uh make cuts in their in their food budgets. And Becky, um, you've mentioned in previous episodes that you're selling your apartment at the moment. Is How's that going? It looks positive at the moment. We might have someone who's interested in buying, but they haven't actually made a bid yet. So I don't really want to say too much. But I think my advice to anyone who is looking to sell a property at the moment is just like, I don't know how many times I've heard the phrase easy margin, have ice in your belly, like don't don't kind of act too hastily, like um, keep your head cool. There are still people that need to buy properties. Like we've had some people interested who are kind of recently divorced or like sizing down from a big from a big house because of energy prices. Uh, I think like larger properties, there are still people that are having children that need to move into properties that are a bit bigger. So you still get this. We've, we've been getting like every single viewing so far, we've been getting these kind of at least one person to every viewing, but it's not, you don't get the people that are like looking to move just for the sake of it or looking to start their kind of Bolstad's career, their property career, which is a big thing in Sweden. Like you're only getting the people that absolutely have to move right now and they can't wait, but there are still people that need to move. So I think that's my positive thing is that it doesn't go as quickly and you're probably not going to sell for as high a price as you would have a few months ago, but there are still people that need housing. There is still a housing shortage in a lot of Swedish cities. So um, as long as you have a lot of time to sell, you, you're still going to be able to do it. Touch wood. And there are still people who can get mortgages, but the banks are being more restrictive, and uh, and and the and the you know interest rates that people will be offered will be 
less attractive perhaps than before. So it affects, you know, that affects their, their, their budgets and everything. Yeah. That's another reason why people that don't have to move are waiting. Like the only people that are moving house right now are people that can't do it at a different time. People that absolutely have to do it right now because it's not a good time to move house. She says moving house. <laughs> That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening and make sure to check out the links in the show notes if you want to read up more on some of the topics we've covered. Thank you to our guest, Yuan Love, for expert financial advice and to our regular panellists, Becky Waterton, Richard Orange and James Savage. Sound engineer, Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul Omani and we'll be back again with another episode of Sweden in Focus next Saturday. Until then, take care. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.